Lord, I pray nobody would be in here tonight and think that somebody else needs to hear this. God, let everyone know that's here tonight. You brought them here to hear it. Let it find its place, God. And I ask you, Lord, with all of my heart that you would please let this be a ministry of the Spirit in life tonight. And not of the letter that kills. But that it would be life and grace and power. And Father, your kingdom would advance. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome you tonight. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, I don't like to preach in these. Um, honestly. And most of the time I haven't. But if God gives me a word for it, then I believe I'm supposed to. And so, hey, Brandon. Love you, brother. Few of us like you. Um, when God gives when God gives your word, I believe you're supposed to. So I'm not, I'm just not looking for a place to preach, but I do have a word from God tonight, and I want to speak this to you tonight. And I come to you in grace and mercy. The Lord did not come to condemn us. I do, I don't come here tonight to condemn you. But I do pray that God would work in such a mighty way that um, we would be very convicted. Because all of this is for him. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our pleasure. It's not for our easy life. But it's for him. And it's a battle. And it's a warfare. And it cost his life. I appreciate the ministry that has been going on this week. Not only the speakers, but the worship team, which has prayed very hard and sought the Lord and have really led us. And I thank God for them. I thank God for you because you're the praise team. And thank you for joining with us in praise that we would believe for the presence of God and truly he's come. People have been touched and healed and delivered. And we thank the Lord for that. The revelation of redemption is a truth that everybody needs to have in the midst of whatever it is you're in. That you would have the revelation that God is there and he is Lord over it. I appreciate Jared's message last night. It's about circumcision. I, I say this to you. Some of you may understand me. Some of you may not. But I couldn't help while you were preaching last night, just praying, God, I'm scared of being made whole. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of being strong. I'm scared of thinking that the circumcision is over. And I just believe that the Lord had shown me through some of the things that I passed through, wholeness is brokenness. And I believe that. And I went through a trial in my life where I really began to pray that God would let me stay in the midst of the affliction so that I could stay weak and I could stay broken because I'm scared of my pride and I'm scared of my strength and just want to be in that place where God has to be everything, everything to you. So I appreciate these things tonight 
I want to read a passage of scripture to you out of James chapter 5. And again, as the other ministers have said, I did not get this off of the internet or read it from a book. (laughs) Just have to qualify that. I didn't get this from Jared Jenkins' sermon notes. Um, I came across this a few months ago, and this is when I knew that the Lord wanted me to speak in this conference, and I'm talking to all of us. This is not a word to pastors. It's a word to the church, to all of us. Because really, pastors are no greater than anybody else. There's no superstars. It's only Jesus. And... um. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there comes a point during that great trial on the earth that the devil knows his time is short. I don't suppose he really knows his time is short right now. Because the Bible says in Revelation there are events that happen where he knows when he is thrown out and down to the earth that his time is short. He has an agenda. And he believes for some reason he will be successful. He believes that. He is striving for that and he is manipulating the mass of humanity to do it. His day will come when he realizes that he doesn't have a long time. But Jesus spoke to the church and said, you need to know before that. You need to be able to understand the signs of the times. And you need to be able to understand the days that you're living in. And so I want to bring this to you tonight. I've called this the two-minute warning. And I want you to read this in James chapter 5 because it comes to me as though it's a warning of an end of time. And when we begin to read in chapter 5, it was very difficult for me to not see this as American Christianity. And I don't bring this against believers necessary, but religion And certainly the form of government that we have found ourselves under recently. Go to now, you rich men, and we all are. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. And who has not escaped misery in these last couple of years that have come upon us all? No one escaped it. Economies are suffering. Cities are suffering. People's lives are suffering. BJ testified to how family members dying in the same week. It talks about these miseries that are coming. And all of your riches and all the things that you've stored up and all of your bank accounts are not going to help you. They haven't helped anybody in this moment. Your riches are corrupted. And that just simply means they've been sitting there. They're of no use. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your fine clothes have become worn out. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Just the fact that you trusted this. And it's not going to help you. And that will be the witness. God does not take delight in the strength of the horse or the legs of man. But those that hope in his mercy. And so there will be a witness against you. And you shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. This is not a compliment. And I wonder how many of us have heaped treasures together for the last days. We're storing up things for that rainy day, right? And yet we go around and we say, hey, I believe Jesus is coming very, very soon. But our bank accounts don't show that. That doesn't show our faith. 
that Jesus is really coming soon. You've heaped for yourselves treasures for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Cries and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth, haven't we all? And been wanton. Sometimes when you read that in the English or the King James, it makes you think that you have been found lacking, but actually it means luxurious. So read it that way. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and luxury. Most of us, if not all of us, live better than kings did just a hundred so few hundred years ago. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just. And he doesn't even resist you. The brutalization of the servants of God who minister life and liberty of Jesus Christ that have been just rolled over by the power of religion has been atrocious in our day. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Aren't you glad? And people might say, well, when is he coming back? He's waiting for that last one that he knows is going to come to come. Might be you tonight. We could have a salvation tonight and the rapture could happen right on the heels of that. It could be your neighbor that you're refusing to go to because you're scared of what they might think about you. But that could be the one God's waiting on. Speed up the coming of the Lord, beloved. He's patient. And so I say this again. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and his long patience part until he received the early and latter rain. And I want you to focus on these verses because this is where I really want to come to tonight. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. I beg that you would tonight. I pray that you would establish your heart. If your heart is wavering, you're very in a very dangerous place. Be patient and establish your heart for the coming of the Lord draws near. Grudge not one against another, brethren. Listen to this. Lest you be condemned. Yes, that's in the New Testament. Towards a believer. Right? Read it again. Grudge not one against another, brethren. Lest you be condemned. This is a severe warning in regards to people who are murmuring or who are begrudging or holding a grudge against another brother. You, not them, are in danger of being condemned. I didn't write that. And that's why I want you to stay with me tonight. I'm not here to condemn you tonight. But I do pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus might have what he deserves in this final hour. Verse 9, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, as some of the translations say, look, he's standing at the door fixing to come. Look, you're supposed to see this. You're supposed to know this. Take my brothers, the prophets. Who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. And behold, we count them happy which endure. 
You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And I want to stop there and I want to talk to you about these verses tonight because they sound to me as a warning for the end times. And it is a warning for end times believers. And one of the things or some of the things that strikes me in this moment is that Jesus Christ, the judge, is at the door. And he is going to judge and he is going to rule. And we need to take Jesus Christ very, very seriously. And he's at the door and he's fixing to come. And we need to establish our hearts and we need to be patient. We need to understand some things. And so this is telling me about a critical moment in time where everything is coming to a rapid ending. And we need to be aware of that and aware of the coming of the Lord. We need to sense the fact that the days are drawing to a close. I have more people that speak to me that are lost and in the world. Asking me questions about the Bible and Bible prophecy and the coming of the Lord. Than people in the church don't even want to talk about that. But lost people are going around saying, hey, aren't you a pastor? Doesn't the Bible speak about these things? What what do you know about this? And they're asking all types of questions about it. But the church isn't. The church is living in its luxury and the church is living in its pleasure. And the church is laying aside wealth for the end times and the last days. And we walk around saying, hey, Jesus could come back at any moment, but our bank account doesn't show that. Our giving doesn't necessarily show that. Our sacrifice of time doesn't necessarily show that. Our prayer life doesn't show that. For the life of me, I cannot understand why Christians are not flooding into prayer meetings Living in a world like we live in right now. You know, this to me should be something. When you look in the book of Acts, they were in prayer constantly. In prayer meetings constantly. Apostles were being thrown into prison and the church was going into prayer meetings. To pray them out of prisons, praise God. They were doing these things. And so when I think about this end times warning, and I think of it in the sense of the two-minute warning. If some of you are familiar with sports, especially football, then there's usually, you know, in pro, there's this timeout when the two minutes gets here. And it's just a warning. And the warning is simply this. There are two teams playing. And the final two minutes is here. And this is the time to gut it out. This is not the time to play around. This is not the time to sit on the sidelines. This is the time to put the best players on the field. And this is the time you leave everything on the field. Leave it all there. Because this is it. And beloved, this is the two-minute warning. Put the best players on the field and gut it out. And don't leave anything else. Leave it all out on the field. Leave it there. When the rapture comes, what will your bank account say? How many of you here tonight have been saying for years, one day, one day, I'm going to make this surrender to Jesus Christ. And I believe there's a call on my life. And I'm going to devote my life to what I believe Jesus has been wanting me to do. But I'm just not ready right now. And then the rapture comes and you go to Jesus with that unfulfilled life. This is the two-minute warning, beloved. Get on the field and gut it out. I'm tired. Everybody is at the end of the game. 
I'm weary. Everybody is at the end of the game. I'm bleeding. Everybody is at the end of the game. I don't know if we can win this thing. Then put the best player in there who thinks he can and get out on the field. And give it all you got because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. That's the two-minute warning. The game is almost over. And the winner has not yet been determined, but it will in just a moment. And beloved, I pray that we would take this very, very seriously. I say this to you. A question must be asked and it must be settled tonight. And that question is this. Is the church of Jesus Christ necessary to the purposes and the strategies and the plans of God in the earth today? And according to the scriptures, the answer is undeniably yes. If God is to accomplish his desires, he will do that through his church. And apart from his church... He will not be able to demonstrate what he wants to demonstrate. And if you're a Christian, that has to affect you. If you have any love for God, that has got to affect you. Because you are necessary to what God wants to do in the final two minutes. And the game is on the line. I want you to understand that. And so this has to be settled in us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians, practically the whole book, gives us no question whatsoever the church is necessary. And the church is essential. And it is the house of God and it is by the church and through the church that the manifold wisdom of God can even be made known. And I rejoice in the fact that it will be. 2,000 years ago, a small group of unlearned men and women came out of an obscure room. They didn't come out of a seminary. They didn't come out of a school. They came out of a prayer meeting. They came out of the presence of God and they turned the world upside down. They had no financial backings, no television, no radio, no book deals. They didn't know anything or anybody other than God. They had no governor over their life. They had no pope. They had no superstar leader. All of these guys that were in that upper room had just a few weeks ago fled from Jesus in his moment of crisis. No super people up there. Just a great God who came and empowered them and came out of that room clothed with them and he turned the world upside down. That's what he did. Their shadow fell on the sick and the demon possessed. And they were healed and they were delivered. They would speak to kings and they would defy governments. The dead would be raised and the nations would be given the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their testimony was, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By the spirit of God working in this group of 120 people that rapidly increased to 3,000 plus Then we begin to see that the lame are healed, the shadows cure the sick, the sick are healed, the possessed are delivered, angels are sent to prisons to unlock the bondages of apostles held there, earthquakes open the prison doors, evangelists were transported to other cities for preaching, their practices shut down occultic arts 
and wizardry. The dead were raised. There was a flow of divine information. Though They inflicted sickness and brought blindness on occult leaders who would withstand them. They had supernatural boldness and knowledge to live and if asked to, to die for this gospel. They took handkerchiefs off of their bodies and sent them to those that were diseased and they were healed and the evil spirits departed. We are here to prove that Jesus Christ lives. And the only means that we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This early church came out led by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God and had one desire. Their desire was the Spirit's desire. Jesus Christ is going to be known in my day. Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up. And they were led by the Spirit of God. And the Bible says they broke bread from house to house. They ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They praised God and had favor with the people. They did. Not them. Not him. Not her. They did gather. The church did not hide under Nero's threats. It did not retreat during plagues and pandemics. It never ceased to be the church when governments were trying to make it cease to be the church. And I say to you tonight that the church of Jesus Christ that is filled with and led by the Holy Ghost will not cease and desist. It's... It's the two-minute warning and Satan's trying to keep us on the sideline. We shall pray. We shall praise. We will lift our hands and we will lift our voices. We will be choirs of praise and thanksgiving to God. We will lay our hands on the sick. We will worship our God. The ministry of hospitality will continue. The ministry to the poor will continue. We will bury our dead. We will be there for the birth of our children. We will distribute to the necessity of the saints. And the church of Jesus Christ will not grieve the Holy Ghost. We shall continue to go into all of the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Oh, beloved, I say to you tonight, if you will let the Holy Spirit come to you. He will come with such power. He will impregnate you with the purposes of God. He will fill you. He will pour gifts out upon you and through you. If you will let the wind of the Holy Spirit come, He will blow out fear and heaviness and timidity. And He will give you courage and He will give you boldness. He is your greatest friend. As a matter of fact, Jesus called Him the Comforter. And the name of the comforter means the encourager. You have no courage if you don't have Holy Ghost life and power. I can tell you this. You can be strong in a church. Sing when everybody else is singing. Shout when everybody else is shouting. But it takes a Holy Ghost believer to walk on the campus of LSU. And talk to students about the gospel of Jesus Christ. By themselves. I want to tell you about a man who changed my life. That takes Holy Ghost power and courage and boldness. Anybody can sing in a church, but it takes the power of the Holy Ghost to sing out there in school, in your workplaces, in the supermarkets, and in your streets. People that are in love with God. The Holy Ghost comes as your comforter. He will abide in you. He will be known by you. He will manifest Jesus to you. He will be your teacher. 
He will bring all things to your remembrance. He is the spirit of Christ. The spirit of adoption. He is the intercessor in the holy of holies through you. He helps your weaknesses. He is the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of truth. The spirit of holiness. And he is the spirit of life. The Holy Ghost comes to you. And he is pleased to come to you. But he is not pleased to leave you as you are. The Holy Ghost comes with his own personality to change you. To transform you. He is not interested in your talents. He is not interested in what you've learned. He's not interested in your Greek and Hebrew. He wants you to know him who is crucified. That's what he wants. And that's who he's going to make known to you. That is what he desires and that is what he wants to know. He changes the personality of people who walk around for the last so many times and so many years. Oh, I'm so unworthy. I don't know why God would ever use me. I don't think I'm of any value. I don't know if God would ever want to do something through my life. I'm nothing. I'm lowly. I've got no power. I can't read. I'm unlearned. I don't know how to speak. He changes that weakness and he causes you to become somebody who says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He changes you. He's not a feeling. He's not a jump or a laid out thing in an altar. What good is that if our life is not changed tomorrow? The power of God, the intimacy of God. You wake up in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning, at 2.20 in the morning or wherever it is. And you're crying and you're wailing and all you want is Jesus. And I can't sleep because my bowels are longing for him. That is the Holy Ghost. That is not you. The Holy Ghost loves him. And when he fills you and lives in you, he will love him through you. There's nothing like that. There's no experience like that in all of the world. Oh, this is beautiful here and I love it. I love the praise. I love singing with you. I love getting in this altar and shouting with you. I love it. I look forward to it. I, t- I call people today, pray. My heart is so corrupt. I am so vile. I am so bitter inside everything in me. And I said, I can't wait to get to praise with people and shout with people. I'm confessing this to God and he's just going to deal with my heart. But there's nothing like going up into the hiding place all alone with you and your lover. And he puts his bedspread over you. And he says, you are lifted above your enemies. And you're like, all I want, BJ, is Jesus. That's all I want. The Holy Spirit does that. Why should you be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because you can't know that apart from him. You can't pray without the Holy Ghost. You can't worship without the Holy Ghost. You can't praise without the Holy Ghost. You can't preach without the Holy Ghost. These guys knew Jesus was raised from the dead. They saw the resurrected Christ and they're ready. Let's go into all the world and tell, no, no, no. You can't go just because you've had an experience. You've got to have him. You've got to have him. We've got to have him. Sin and violence in people's lives is not going to be destroyed by polite talk. And if preaching were the answer, our nation would have been changed. 
There's preaching everywhere. And there's good preachers everywhere. There's godly men and godly women throughout America that preach the truth of God. But we're losing our country. We're losing it. Because this is not simply the answer. The Bible tells us that the whole world lies in the embrace of the evil one in John, doesn't it? The whole world lies under that influence. And it's not a polite talk and it's not a right scripture and it's not the right sermon. And if I can get the right sentence and I can get the right phrase, then I'm going to bring the culture back to God. No, sir. No, ma'am. You don't have the power. There's only one that has the power to break the grip of that devil. And that is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. He must break the grip of that devil. And he can break it over your family. He can break it over your children. He can break it over your workplace. He can break it over your school. But we've got to pray. and We've got to get with God. And we've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I hear preachers all the time talk about, oh, well, I remember back then. I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the now. I want to hear Cindy say, he healed me last night. I want to see Sarah Beth walk in this room, walking and dancing. And I want to be able to have a testimony. Oh, I saw years ago, I saw God move. I'm glad, I'm glad for that. But I want to also be able to, and I saw him tonight. Because the Holy Ghost does. The increase of the Antichrist spirit does not affect us. You hear me, church? It affects the timid. It does not affect us. And it is increasing. What you're watching today, I'm not a conspiracy theorist other than this. There is a demonic kingdom and there is the kingdom of God. And Satan has been warned against that kingdom and has an agenda to bring a one world government, religion, and economy. And there is going to be a man... Whoever that Antichrist is that is going to rule that with power. And that is the devil's agenda. And that's the conspiracy. Everything else works into that. And that does not affect us. May we walk so close to God. May we walk so intimately with the Holy Ghost. May we walk not so much in our might and our power. But may we see ourselves as partners with him. As though he's really here. He's not a force. He's not a mist. He's not a, he is God. He is the Father, the Son, and He is the Holy Ghost. And He's a person, and He comes, and like they said in Acts chapter 5, we cannot keep our mouths shut. We are the witnesses of Jesus, and so is He. They're pointing to the Holy Ghost. You can't keep us quiet. He is too. And may we walk so close with the Holy Ghost in this hour of the latter rain and the increase of the harvest and the demonstration of the power of God. May we walk so close, so anointed, so full, so free, so powerful, so loving, so joyful, so delightful that God has to take us out of the world because if we were here, Antichrist couldn't do nothing. Because that's what Thessalonians says. There's something holding him back. And I must remove that before he can be revealed. That's the Holy Ghost in us. 
That's a rapture. I believe it. I believe it with all of my might and my heart. Now I'm coming to my text. I want you to look at this. James 5 verse 9. Oh, I pray you love the Holy Ghost. I pray you love Jesus and the Father. Grudge not one against another, brothers, lest you be condemned. Look, the judge is standing at the door. He's fixing to come. It's the two-minute warning. He tells us this in the context of verse 8. The coming of the Lord draws near. And so he tells us don't grudge against one another. That word grudge means this. It means to murmur, to sigh against one another. That's an interesting thing that would be given to us as the end times church. Don't grudge. Don't murmur. Don't sigh against one another. And notice who the grudging is against. It's against the brothers. Brother against brother. There will be things happening in the last days. In the end times. That we know according to the scriptures, and certainly James is referring to this. That are going to work to divide us. To separate us. To offend us. So that we murmur against each other. And we sigh against each other. This is for you, not them. This is for me, not you. And it's going to work. So many Pentecostals today preach Holy Ghost power, but not grace power. And I want to say to you tonight, I believe that's impossible to do. If you understand grace, you know that is the Holy Ghost. His influence, His divine power working in your life. To deny grace is to deny the spirit of life to even move. And all that can move is death. Churches are diminishing. Off the top of my head, these figures I'm trying to remember, I think it's 1,500 pastors quit every month. I think 7,000 churches close every year. And I'm sure pastors walk away and say, well, I guess they just didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want the letter of the law. They wanted the spirit of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's not that they didn't want truth. They wanted life. They wanted the power to live this life. They didn't just want to be told every week how pitiful they are because they don't live this life. They need the power of the Holy Ghost to live this life. Please stay with me, brother. I'm appealing to you because it's the two-minute warning. The Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away. My great friend Daryl and I talk about this a lot. One-third of evangelical Christians left the church in 2020 and reportedly are not coming back. I said, Daryl, there's got to be the great falling away. And he said, just get ready. 
There's more coming. But the Bible doesn't say they won't come back. We have to evangelize the church. We have to bring prodigals home. They need life. They need to believe that the God of power and might and redemption can do something for them. Because they say, you know, I'm not like you. I'm not good like you. I'm not disciplined like you. You know, if you would just pull the veneer of hypocrisy back and let people see that, hey, you're just like them. It would give people such hope. Because, you know, apart from the Holy Spirit, I'm nothing either. And people are so loving their discernment. I discern something about you. I have a discernment about you. And immediately you become defined by my discernment. That's great. Why don't you discern the same thing about you? No, I'm I'm really serious. You know, Paul prays for the church. He said, I pray that your love would increase with your discernment. Because your spirituality is not given by the fact that you can discern something in somebody. Your spirituality is displayed in what you do with them when you discern it. Do you help them? Do you love them? Do you cover them? Do you rescue them? Do you give them hope in the Father? That's spirituality. Galatians chapter 6. You that are spiritual, restore those that have fallen. Help them back. That's the spirituality of our life. And so I say that to you. So, you know, James is telling us this. Don't grudge. Don't murmur. Don't sigh against each other in the last days. Because things are going to be at work to divide you. and To separate you. And to cause you to dislike each other. Don't let that happen to you. Establish your heart. Get your heart right. And be patient. Because these are hard times. Jesus said it would wax worse. Not better. But we were warned not only by James and Jesus, but also Peter and Paul both warned us. And I want to remind you of this. Peter said in his epistle, Seeing that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be sober. Pray, but above all things, all right, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sin. Peter said, above everything, make sure you got that. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. And Paul said, you know, in the last days, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be brutal in the religion of Christianity. People are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're not going to keep their word. They're going to be truce breakers. They're going to love pleasure more than they love God. They're going to be fierce. No wonder you've got to be patient in the last days. This is a description of last days Christianity. Our religion of Christianity. He sums it up like this. This is in 2 Timothy 3. They're going to have a form of godliness. But they're denying the power thereof. A lack of love. 
religion and murmuring and grudging and sighing against one another. And what you see today seems to be like so many people are skilled in slander rather than exhortation. We're supposed to put courage in each other. We're supposed to encourage one another. As we see that day approaching, we're supposed to gather together more and more and more to encourage one another and help one another. I'm appealing to you to do that. I'm appealing to you to not go to a conference for a few days and and just get whatever you get out of that. I, I, I am appealing to you with all of my heart, guys, that you would have such an affection and love and desire for Jesus Christ that you would not murmur against the brothers. That you would not murmur and sigh against the brothers. I'm praying that you won't do that. Now, I want to take you to this little part because I believe this is really important. And this is the most important part. Because if you look up the word grudge, it means to murmur, to sigh, and to be in straits. And many of you probably heard the phrase dire straits. So I looked that up in the dictionary to find out exactly what it meant. And the dictionary defined it this way for me. It's to be at the most critical point in the game with your best player out of the game. The most critical part of the game and your best player is out of the game. And beloved, the best player is the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no knowledge of truth, no life, no life from the dead, no understanding of truth, no indwelling Christ, no understanding of God, no victory over sin, no victory over the flesh. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no teacher, there is no worship, no intimacy with God, there is no peace, there is no witness of Jesus in the world without the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no conviction, no sanctification, no church, no righteousness. Without the Holy Ghost, there is no light, there is no intercessor, there is no guide, no communion with God, no mind of Christ, no spiritual life, no revelations of Jesus, no comforter, no power, no glory, no hope, no fruit, no singing, no dancing, no joy, no sonship, no liberty, no freedom. Without the Holy Ghost. I think he's the best player. And Satan. Can't do anything to him. It's not even a challenge. I wanted to say Satan would be like an ant in the Holy Spirit's fingers. But it's not even that. Because that that takes effort. So it's not even that. It's just like. What, what, what does he do? It just doesn't. It just thinks him out of existence. If he wanted to, he's nothing to him. The devil can do nothing to Satan. So if the devil is going to keep the Holy Spirit off the field, what does he do? He messes you up. And how does he mess you up? 
by just causing you to murmur against your brothers. You gossip. You slander. You have disdain. You come to this conference, I like my church better than this one. I like our singing better than their singing. They're not holy because they don't sing my songs. Do you know what you've done to the Holy Ghost? Because that's what it is. It's it's to murmur and it's to sigh and it's to be in straits, which means to be in the most critical part of the game and the best players out because we're sitting there and he hears it all because we're brothers. Right. And he is the father. He is the he is the life of the church. And we're sitting there saying, I don't I don't like you because you're not my tradition. Now, you can say that, but when you say that, that immediately restricts him. He's grieved by that. He hears that. He doesn't want everybody to be the same. He wants us to all be like Jesus. But he wants some people to be a hand and others to be a foot and some to be an ear or whatever it might be. He wants, he wants to build his body. And when it doesn't look like your particular persuasion or your particular denominational way of doing something... Then you can be saying these, sighing about it or whatever. I just don't like the way they do it. I don't like the way you preach. I don't like the way you do that. I hate that you sit on the altar. That is so disrespectful. And you're just like restraining the Holy Spirit. And you're keeping the best player out of the game. Because his way of movement is through us. Are we as the church not necessary? And the devil knows that. And the devil knows I can't do anything. To the Holy Spirit. So what I have to do is wreck his body. How do I wreck his body? Just get them to be upset with each other. To be offended with each other. And I read this. And I want you to see it. And Because this is the way it speaks to me. And and it would be as though James is sitting here. 2,000 years ago. And James is. Coming to the end of his life and he feels the Holy Spirit has moved upon him to write a letter to the church. And now James being led of the Holy Spirit writes this letter to the church. And he's writing about wealth and riches and the coming of the Lord in the last days and living in pleasure and living in luxuries. He said, but the Lord is at hand. Look, he's standing at the door. And it's almost when I read this, he says in verse eight, the coming of the Lord is near. And James is 2,000 years in the past, and he's writing this letter, and he's writing the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's sending it 2,000 years into the future to you, Noah, to you, Thomas, to you, Rick. He's sending it to us because we are the end times church. And he's reaching 2,000 years into the future, and he's saying to us, Don't murmur. Don't grudge one another. Because if you do, in the most critical moment of the game, the two-minute warning, the greatest harvest of all of Christendom, the greatest moment of the revelation of Jesus Christ in all of history, this is it. The game is won or lost in a month. Now, we know it was done at Calvary, right? 
But what he's talking this last moment, the influx of that harvest. Don't murmur. Don't grudge one another. Don't keep me out of the game. The Holy Spirit's saying that. Don't keep me out of the game. Don't look to your superstars. Don't look to your tradition. Don't get caught up with your denomination. Don't get caught up with your particular thing. Don't keep me out of the game. Love the brothers. Lest you be condemned. Right? And this is what that means. Lord, help us understand. If Paul said to the Galatians, those who are troubling you, amputate them from your body. Cut them off. If Paul's saying that to the church of Galatia, I guarantee you the Holy Ghost is saying to the end times church, if you grudge one another and you try to keep me out of the game, I'm going to take care of you. You are not going to stop or impede my end times work. I am jealous for Jesus and his glory. Praise God. These are not church splits. These are prunings that are in my way. Because I gave them time. And I gave them space. And I gave them grace to repent and to be right. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. I am pruning because I will get that last harvest. People are not leaving you. I'm freeing you. And when they go, or if it happens, don't grudge your brothers that go. Don't murmur. Don't sign your heart. Jesus loves people. And he gave his life for people. And he sacrificed himself for people. Bad people. Sinful people. Wicked people. And the people that have hurt you, walked out on you, you feel betrayed, you feel wounded, you feel, you've been pruned to be free and to bring in more fruit, but don't grudge against them because I can tell you, He loves them as much as He loves you. And there's no way that the Holy Spirit is going to take delight in any of us feeling justified to gripe against the body of Christ or our brothers in Christ for illegitimate reasons, unholy reasons, and reasons that divide and separate the body. This is the two-minute warning. I wasn't the best athlete. I just thought that I was. And I was playing on our baseball team in high school. I was on the junior high team. And sometimes I'd get into the seniors and, or the varsity team and play with them a little bit. Just because they needed, somebody was sick and they needed an extra player. So he put me on there and I'm sitting on the bench and I'm just standing there at the, 
at the dugout, the, at the hole of the dugout, and I said, Coach, you want to win this game, put me in there. I'll win this game for you. You need a home run? Let me bat. And that was my pride. I literally did that. I believe that. That's how pitiful I am. The Holy Spirit says to us, and this is no joke. If you want to see what you've been asking for for decades, put me in the game. Quit with your belly aching. Quit with your weakness. Quit with your sissiness. Quit with your flaky feelings. Quit with it. Quit with your favorite preachers. Quit with your favorite musicians. Quit with your favorite churches. It is not about that. It is about my Christ. My Jesus. Put me in the game. And I close with this. Because I think about it almost every day. After they took Jesus off of that cross. A man named Joseph of Arimathea. Went before the ruler and he said. I beg you. For that body. It made no sense. All they knew this was a wicked man. Cursed by God, for he was hung on a tree. He's lifeless, he's of no value. He's been so beaten, so wounded, that he's toxic. He can do nothing for you. He's going to be expensive, and he's going to cost you. And Joseph, please, give him to me. Give him to me. Beloved, it's time for the church to quit with its luxuries and laying up its treasures for the last days. And it's time to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. And it's time to get into the game and say to the Holy Ghost and say to Jesus about the body of Christ from the ones you think are the greatest to the ones you think are toxic Christians. God, give them to me. Give, they'll be of no use to you, Lee. They will wear you out. They'll be toxic. They may hurt you. They'll be expensive. Oh, God, give them to me. Oh, God, give them to me. And what other than the Holy Ghost can possess us with a love like that? I want you to stand with me. Some of you in here right now, and you know it. I'm not going to belabor this. I don't want to. I'm not here to hype you. But it's time to put the Holy Ghost back on the field in your life. Come on. Right now. Come on. If you can't come to an altar, you're not going to do anything different with the rest of your life. You just come now. There are some people you need to forgive. Because you've murmured. You've sighed. You thought it was against them, and it was. But what it actually did was it cramped and hindered the Holy Spirit. And now, for the sake of God, you say, Lord, I want to repent. Oh, let there be repentance. Y'all, I pray for conviction. It's good. Oh, it's good. 
Well, the two-minute warning has over now. It's a minute and 55 seconds. It's a minute and 50 seconds. It's a minute and 45 seconds. What are you waiting on, believer? It's time to lay it all out. It's time to gut it out. It's time to forgive. It's time to love. It's time to be patient. It's time to speak with power, with authority, with hope, with grace, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time to build one another up. It's time to love. It's time to edify. Oh, it's time to rejoice because he is the spirit of joy and he is your strength and your weakness. He's not here tonight to ruin you. He's here tonight to free you and fill you and use you. Some of you have been so perplexed at what God has been doing in your life. I don't understand it. I don't want this in my life. And yet he's working because he's working with his own wisdom and knowledge to give you freedom. To give you liberty. Pastors, he's working. He's not destroying your church. He's freeing it. He's freeing it so that he can take it where he wants it to go. He wanted them to come, but they didn't want to go. But he's not going to let their I don't want to go stop him from going. He's going to get the glory of Jesus in this last day. Oh, beloved, I beseech you. Desire to be in that game. Desire to be on that field with him. Watch what he can do. Watch what he can do.